from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. so many of us who aren't elderly were thinking during these first couple waves, okay, we want to do our part to protect others, but if we get this, we're going to come through this fine. Do you, are these people expressing surprise and confusion that they are now suffering to this extent? Yes, they, they are. I have um, a couple of patients right now that I'm taking care of that um, one of them is just like literally in tears almost the whole time and just apologetic and just, I mean, at this point in the game, you know, now my, my goal is to just get you better and get you out of here. I'm Sarah Fenske. The Delta wave is now filling hospital beds across the metro. It's been incredibly dispiriting for local health care workers. Tiffany Sellers is an ER nurse from SSM Health St. Mary's Hospital. She mentioned how mentally, emotionally, and physically taxing this current coronavirus wave is on her and her colleagues. I just want people to know that as much as they are exhausted about hearing COVID this, COVID that, they should know that healthcare workers are just as exhausted. For this, this is our third wave, and we just want to do our best to keep everyone as healthy as we as they can because in turn, nurses are getting burned out. So that's like a struggle that we're dealing with. And when people come in and they, they know the safety risks, they know the risk that they're taking by not following guidelines and stuff, they're putting other people at risk, which means our nurses are at risk. Because we still show up and we do this job every day because we want to help, but we need help from the public too. And that is Tiffany Sellers of SSM Health St. Mary's Hospital. Tiffany is certainly not alone. Sherry Pipkins has been on the front lines of the battle against COVID-19 for 17 months now. Sherry's a respiratory therapist, the lead respiratory care practitioner at SSM Health St. Joseph Hospital St. Charles. It's her job to help people with breathing problems. And that, of course, is a major part of caring for COVID patients. And she joins us today to share her experience in this third COVID wave. So Sherry Pipkins, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So take us back to the first wave of the pandemic. When did you first realize COVID patients would be a big part of your caseload? Um, When they first started coming in and they just started deteriorating really quickly, um, you know, uh, one patient I remembered, um, one of my team members um, would check their oxygen level and then they'd go back for a uh, breathing treatment and their oxygen level would be um, just a little lower, a little lower, and by the end of the day, they would be on a ventilator. Mm. Um, we are seeing right now, we are seeing that deteriorate even quicker. So for people coming in in this Delta wave, um, they're just going downhill fast. Very much, much more quicker, yes. And this is after you've had a year and a half um, to to work on techniques and, and fine-tuning things. It feels like there's not really... Any, um, any palliative measure here that's been developed that is going to save these people? No, I mean, so we have, we have basic things that we're doing. Um, of course, the steroids, the antibiotics, the uh, remdesivir. I mean, all of the things that, that fit inside the box, we do try for these patients um, early on, early proning, um, talking to people about, um, of course, getting vaccinated. But this Delta variant is just, Um, taking people by storm. Um, Like I said, they're deteriorating much more quickly. Um, I I see see 
a wave coming very quickly. Hmm. Have you noticed differences in who is getting sick this time? Demographically, are there any differences? So, so let me just clarify really quick. I am not one to push my beliefs on anyone. I just, I, I, and I will admit at first when the vaccine came out. At first, I was very hesitant myself. Um, but what I found is that um, the people that are coming in are the unvaccinated. I mean, ni- I would say 97%. I'm not a big numbers person, but I would say 97% of the people that are coming in and the people that have passed in our small hospital alone um, are the people that are unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. So statistically, we heard a lot in the first wave that this was mostly elderly people and the elderly actually have great vaccination rates compared to so yes. many younger yes. people. I are, agree. are you still seeing mostly elderly patients this no. time around? No, no, we have, um, we have had people on our ICU is just like packed at any given time um, with any anywhere between 30s, 40s, 50s, and and not overweight necessarily. In the past, we were seeing more of the um, overweight population, the elderly population. It, there is no respecter uh, of race, size, age at this point. Um, it's uh, and no no pre-existing issues. Um, the people that do survive um, are the the fortunate ones. And they are actually walking out of the hospital, but they are walking out, um, going home on oxygen. Um, they're going home, not able to even go back to their jobs because they're needing therapy as far as like physical therapy, occupational therapy, pulmonary rehab. I mean, they're just so sick where they didn't have lung disease before. Now they have a lung disease. No smoking history. Now their lungs look like the, they've smoked for many, many years. I mean, that's just it's just terrifying to hear you say that. And you're talking about younger people. I think so many of us who aren't elderly were thinking during these first couple waves, okay, we want to do our part to protect others. But if we get this, we're going to come through this fine. Do you are these people expressing surprise and confusion that they are now suffering to this extent? Yes, they they are. I have um, a couple of patients right now that I'm taking care of that um, one of them is just like literally in tears almost the whole time and just apologetic and just, I mean, at this point in the game, you know, now my, my goal is to just get you better and get you out of here. It's not, you know, now we're just past that point. You know, you're, you didn't get vaccinated. We don't need to discuss that at this point. Now I just need to get you better. Um, you know, the other one is just, and I can, I can share this, is, you know, I have a patient that um, the mom and the patient um, were in here together. The mom was on the ventilator. The mom did not survive, and the patient is still here, and I'm trying to get him better and get him out of here. Um, so it's just it's it's horrifying. It's 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 just horrific. It's horrific for most mostly the families and the population, but also for the healthcare workers. I mean, there's um, probably not a day goes by that we don't just kind of convene and just kind of like you know just just sigh and cry and um, it's it's just been pretty pretty horrible. You find you find yourself in tears almost every day on the job. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so hard. And and I guess so many of us who are outside the healthcare system, um, we hear people say things like, um, well, if people didn't get vaccinated, they're asking for it. And here are these people who didn't get vaccinated. Do you feel some of that same anger that they're putting you in this position? I don't I don't feel that anger. I am I'm just here to care for the, the patient and 
Um, I, I feel a little frustration, I guess I should say. I, didn't, I don't feel anger toward them. I feel frustration. Um, I, um, it's hard to just, you know, see them in that vulnerable state and, and feel anger. Um, but, you know. But the frustration is real. The frustration, yes, it is real. You mentioned that you yourself, you were initially a little bit hesitant about getting this vaccination yourself. Why were you hesitant and, and what ended up changing well, your mind? Of course, it, it, it rolled out really quickly. I mean, everybody could admit that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, as as it, it rolled out, I just decided that, um, you know, okay, so you just ask yourself that, um, do you know anybody personally that is, has died from COVID? And, you know, as these months and months and months roll around, whether it be the first wave or now we're in the Delta, you, everybody can probably say that they know somebody personally or they know a friend that has a family member that has died of COVID mm-hmm. at this point. And I, I don't know anybody that's died from the vaccine. I mean, if, if, they got the vaccine and you hear these stories about people that have died, you know, they have had some kind of pre-existing, um, you know, issue in the first place. And, you know, I, I, I just say, in my opinion, that the, the risk of not getting the vaccine by far is higher than the risk of, um, mm-hmm. um, of getting the vaccine, yeah. the risk of getting COVID. Yeah, this is this. It's much more dangerous yes. to get COVID absolutely. than to get the vaccine. Absolutely, the, the math would a hundred percent bear you out on that. I don't, oh, I don't goodness. have it in front of me, but absolutely. Yes. But, but so you make a great point there, and yet, to me, a shocking number of healthcare workers aren't vaccinated. I saw a recent statistic: nearly one in three workers at the nation's fifty largest hospitals. How is that possible when you see what you just described to me? What you all are seeing on the job. Honestly, I cannot speak to that. I have no idea. I, I, I don't know. With your coworkers, I mean, do you have coworkers who still aren't vaccinated where you're trying to, to gently get this across to them? I, I probably wouldn't be able to speak to that. Um, I think that's a personal, um, I guess, a personal thing. Um, we just try to keep, uh, keep that private amongst ourselves, I guess. Um, but it, 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 it can be frustrating at times, and we just try to bear in mind that that's just a personal thing that they're going to have to decide for themselves. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys have to work together as a team, right? You're there in kind do. of these high-stress situations. Yeah, and so, we do, and we mask and we distance, and we do our part even in our own, you know, department in our in our private time as well, you know, when we're not with patients. And so we do, we do our part, and... We've done a really good job of navigating all of those processes as well. Hmm. We spoke spoke with a Wash U researcher just a couple weeks ago. She talked about persuading the unvaccinated. She said we need to pull on our empathy reserves in order not to push the unvaccinated farther into their views. I imagine a lot of people in your life outside of your job want to talk to you about what you're seeing and, you know, are interested in hearing your experience. Has it been tough not to just, you know, let things boil over and, and give them an earful? Um, you know, it's with HIPAA, you know, you can't share a whole lot, but, you know, I have been able to, you know, share stories and generalities and, um, hopefully that will, um, persuade them to understand that the risk of the vaccine is by far minimal compared to 
what we're seeing and, and the risk of, like I said before, walking away with um, now a lung disease where you had none. Mm-hmm. Heidi Lucas of the Missouri Nurses Association, she talked to our sister station, KCUR, this week. She said that the trauma that nurses are experiencing from this will likely have lasting effects. Do you think that's true for you and your colleagues who are there on the front lines? Absolutely. You know, as time, you know, they say time heals all wounds, but, you know, I think this is going to um, stick with us for some time to come. Um, I've been in uh, respiratory since 1992, and... Um, you know, my husband even asked me one time, um, you know, not to sound, um, you know, cold-hearted or anything, but, you know, you deal with death and dying all the time. How is this any different? And, you know, it's just, it's so different. It's, it's, it's not like we deal with death and dying every single day in, in, in these numbers. Um, it's, and, and you don't, you know, you try to get these people better in this unknown world and, you stick with this patient, you build a relationship with this patient, you build a relationship with patients' families via FaceTime, mm-hmm. and then only to come back, you may, have, you may have one day off, and you come back and that patient has passed, and you're just like, you're just torn. How are you personally holding up in the midst of all this? You know, I have a good support system. Um, we support each other at work. Um, we have, um, you know, people that we can talk to if we choose. Um, I have a good support system at home, but um, I'm um, my relationship with God. Um, I don't know how people do it without God. Mm-hmm. Um, I my relationship with God is what uh, keeps me grounded, and the fact that I can minister, I can use my um, my time with my patients to also minister to them as well. Um, whether the outcome is positive or negative, I'm I'm able to do that. So that's what I walk away from is. Um, knowing that at least I've given everything that I could give. It sounds like with your faith, you see this job uh, where you're ministering to people's bodies. This, this almost feels like a calling, not just something where you're punching the clock. It is. Are it's you, always been a calling. Are you worried that for people who are 20 years younger than you might be thinking about going into respiratory therapy, they hear about you know, these kind of stories and what you guys are going through, that they might reconsider that calling, that it just seems too hard? No, I think I think if if it's a calling, it's a calling, and people will will uh, gravitate toward that instead of um, pulling away from it. People that are there for the paycheck will be the ones to not go toward that, and they'll mm-hmm. find something else. Well, Sherry Pipkins, we want to wish you the best, you and all your colleagues, um, and thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.